Welcome to the First Time Facilitator Podcast. Whether you're a first-time facilitator or a seasoned pro, listen in for tips and tricks to make a bigger impact at the next workshop you deliver. And now, your host, Leanne Hughes. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Leanne Hughes, and I'm here to help you design fast, deliver strong without stress. Today on the show, I'm bringing a colleague of mine who I've known now for a couple of years. We were in the same growth cycle group, the same mastermind over the last two years. Every two weeks, we've been catching up on virtual calls and in between talking about things. We met in Hawaii last year, which was really awesome as part of Alan Weiss's community. His name is Jeff Skipper, and he's an expert in accelerating change. For more than 25 years, clients such as IBM, Suncor, Goldman Sachs, and the Salvation Army have engaged Jeff to achieve dramatic results during strategic transformation by wrapping complex change in motivating mission. Now in this one, what you'll learn and take away is Jeff's ability to create awesome activities. Like he just very clever at looking at what's required and then re-engineering that. And the good news is that he's bringing out a workshop booklet that actually showcases top 30 of his change activities. And that's coming soon. We talk about the importance of, of driving change, leading change, and how visible leadership is so important. I think this really matters when a lot of us are running our virtual events and things like that. Where are the opportunities to connect meaningfully in person? Jeff also wrote a book called Dancing with Disruption, and it's really interesting. The book unpacks what we learned during the pandemic in terms of resistance to change. What are the opportunities and lessons here that we can bring into organizations? And what Jeff mapped out is so relevant to us who are leading change within our workshops as well. Like how do we bring people along the journey? And I think the key takeaway for me here was the importance of emotions and not forgetting that. And so many of our decisions are emotion-based. I mean, if you've read Thinking Fast and Slow, I think we all inherently know this, but a lot of our workshop plans or project plans are really on the technical side and don't bring in that emotional and experience type of vibe. Jeff holds a master's degree in organizational psychology and is a certified change management professional. His book, Dancing with Disruption, was published in 2023. You can find his work at jeffskipperconsulting.com. And of course, if you'd love to continue the conversation when the podcast is over, join our community of over 2,200 people in our free group on Facebook called The Flip Chart. And of course, my new book, The Two Hour Workshop, is out. It's been out for about eight weeks now. Visit twohourwork.shop. Okay, now onto the show. All right, I am so excited to bring onto the First Time Facilitator podcast, Jeff Skipper, who's joining us from the Northern Hemisphere. Jeff, it's great to have you here today. Hey, fantastic. Thanks, Leanne. Uh, Jeff, I mean, we've known each other for years. I'll, I'll, no doubt I would have shared that in the intro. But for those of you who may not have seen Jeff's work or his new book or the incredible work that he does in change leadership, Jeff, can you share what you do now, but also what were the moments in your career that sort of led you to the path um, that you take today? It has been quite a journey. I'm fortunate because I think it's a rare thing now where I can look back through my entire career and say there's been a common thread through that. And that really has been the focus on people and how do you help people be at their best at work. So my uh, educational background is organizational psychology that really laid the foundation nicely. Soon after that, ended up working for IBM and helping them develop training materials and then you know, into learning strategies, all focused on how do we enable people to be at their best and then into change management. So there's all this stuff going out, how do folks navigate that? And it, it really woke up a, a passion that I have for seeing people at their best, 
what can I do to help you perform at the maximum level possible? Today, where a lot of that work now is focused on uh, the C-suite, I work with CEOs and their direct reports. How do you inspire a sense of purpose in individuals? Really have them feel committed to the organization and not that it's a drag to come into work each day, but they look forward to it and really want to invest themselves and see themselves grow as part of the organization. And it's very fulfilling when you see people taking hold of that. Yeah. And look, we're in really interesting times. And if you look at, I mean, even the Gallup engagement surveys, it's kind of atrocious, but not a surprise when I talk to sort of our even friends that still work in organizations and I hear what's going on and what is going on, Jeff? Like we're in 2023. There's like all this research out there about what we can do to build engagement. Like what is getting in the way of us living our best lives at work? I think a lot of leaders just don't want to take on the pain of trying to deal with this. So I've talked to some who have those really bad engagement scores and it's, well, remember it was pandemic years. Everyone was down I'm like, yeah, but everyone who was surveyed, they're all down and you're still at the lowest percentile. That's got to tell you something, right? So recognizing it does take a quick, take quite a bit of work. I'm working with a client right now who I think is pretty good at getting out of the office and out on the front line and talking to people, but even their own leadership will say, we don't do it enough. Yeah, we've been out there, but our presence level is not there. And until you're having regular human contact with individuals, it's hard to move them. It's not enough to be on a virtual call and say, rah, 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 everyone, you know, we're going the right direction. Please get on board. Until you're out there and you're shaking hands with people and patting them on the back and telling them they're doing a good job and helping coach them through difficult times, it's hard to generate that level of excitement. It really is. And I mean, we, we're sort of an example of that. So we had our, we're part of Alan Weiss's community and mm -hmm. we had virtual calls for about 12 months before we actually met in Hawaii. And that was really, I mean, that moment. Like that, I got to actually know like who Jeff was and it's an interesting conversation with like global companies now and scaling that level of interest. But so interesting that visibility is one of those mo mo most important things. Have you Huge. figured out ways like in terms of time, like if you were a leader, would you be, how would you sort of structure your day? Would you be out on the floor? Like, I guess with all the demands of work and everything else, it does make it quite tricky. It does. And especially when we're talking about organizations at multiple locations. So if you want to be there, you got to fly somewhere to do that. So one of the interventions I'm proposing with a client is, you know, allocate a percentage of your quarter that you're going to be spending on at each site to get out there and say hello to people. That's absolutely necessary. Not necessarily convenient, but reality is, I mean, Leanne, Leanne look at you and I, we can work from anywhere. We can do so much from our phones. Um, so it's not like it's difficult to be out of the office and, and not be productive. We can do that. Um, so there's really no excuse. It, it makes such a difference. I agree. When we landed in Hawaii, I remember I sat down with one of our colleagues, Paula, and we sat by the beach and just blah, 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 blah. And like, gee, we've been meeting now for a year. And yet when you get together physically, there still was so much to catch up on that you can't be bothered to talk about when you're on a virtual call. It's not the same. That's interesting because, yeah, you're right. It's it's can't be bothered. And it's often like when we're on virtual calls, I guess that the tug is after 60, 90 minutes, two hours, you kind of like, I just want to leave. But if you're sitting on a beautiful beach in Hawaii and you've got these, you know, it doesn't even actually matter where you are, but it just seems to like that sense seems to roll in and, and you, you kind of want to stick around longer as opposed to wanting to hit that leave, you know, end meeting button. I've got a question for you, Jeff, with 
the importance of people meeting together. Have you noticed a shift in your workshops? Are they still really driven towards business results or is there time and space in for building some of that connection up as well? I was just in one where we had it out in, um, so I travel West, so I'm in Canada. If I travel West from here, we're out into the mountain area, forest, stuff like that. So there was a, a retreat that was uh, set up out there all to do strategy, but I was told, Jeff, these guys are up early. We'll want to start early, but we need an hour and a half break in the middle. Hour and a half. It's like, yeah, you got to understand, not only are we all running a business and they have work to do, but they haven't seen each other for so long. They need time to catch up with one another. And even if you say half an hour, folks, they won't be back for 60 minutes. So let's just give them the time that they need. And we go, okay. And we worked around that. So yeah, I think it is important to give people space to connect. It's interesting, Gartner's done some work now that demonstrates when salespeople reveal more about themselves, but also it's into the details, it's the nuance, it's the little pieces that give insight to the day-to-day -day things I care about, that enables connection with customers. And I think the same thing happens just between people. When I've got an hour to just talk and unpack things and now get into the nitty gritty details of life, that's where we really start to connect and build uh, levels of trust that help us work well together. Yeah. And often on virtual calls, it's more like, Hey, how are you going? Yeah, I'm good. Or, you know, I oh, will riff on the weather for a minute. And then I'm we're fine. <laughs> that's it. Now tell us about, cause like you, you've got all this experience, you know, building training programs and learning design and everything else. And now you're, you're a consultant and you're really there to create intervention and to create lasting change. What is the role right. that workshops play as part of your consulting? I know you do, you wear many different hats. Yeah. Tell yeah. us more about the workshop intervention. You know, the, the role of workshops has grown significant for me, is significantly for me in the last couple of years. So it used to be go in, just figure out interventions and go and execute. But as the leadership has really become aware, hey, there's a discipline here called change management, or as I like to refer to it, change leadership. Folks need to understand what does that even mean? Now, I was as I was reflecting on our discussion, you do a great job of trying to pump up the uh, excitement level before you even get to the workshop and then in the workshop and then there's follow-up all to keep that level I think of emotion or a reflection level a high and positive and as I was thinking about that it occurred to me that that's what change leadership is about you're trying to engage people on an emotional level mm -hmm. yes I need to help them build new competencies to navigate a change but I'm trying to keep a positive viewpoint around what's going to happen. Otherwise, fear creeps in, resistance creeps in, and that still might happen. Again, more emotions. So I need to teach leadership around what are the different emotions that have to do with change and workshops enable me to do that. I want to give you a quick example, if I may. A lot of people are aware of uh, Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's model of mourning. It's got that curve, you know, there's obviously, you know, big disappointment, there's denial, folks may fall into depression, but then there's a level of acceptance eventually. And so one of the workshops I've developed is to present people with that curve and say, how does this relate to a change? As you go through it, can you see how people may or may not experience these emotions? Because change is not exactly like mourning the loss of a friend or a loved one, but in some ways it is. And so that's a great tool for people to recognize, okay, I see some of those emotions. In fact, 
I've experienced some of those emotions in my own life as I've gone through change. And now I'm producing empathy. And to the degree I can do that with leaders, they're much better equipped to help their people through that. So these types of interactive workshop elements, I think, help people tap into the emotional aspect of change. And that's key for leaders to really do their job. Yeah, thanks for bringing out that emotional slant. It's funny because whenever um, look, I'm not a project manager, but I have managed projects. I wouldn't call myself, I wouldn't give myself that noun though. But you know, I've had my Gantt chart, and there's nothing in there about managing emotions in any of it. <laughs> it's like no. communicate, and you know, it's very kind of technical versus the emotional side. But that's exactly what it, the resistance is. It's about fear, uncertainty, loss, um, everything that you just shared. Now your book, the title of your book could also be the title of a facilitation book, I reckon, Dancing with Disruption. It's so clever because that's what we do. You know, a lot of the time when we're we're running these processes, we have no idea where it potentially may may lead as well. So can you share with listeners a bit about your book? We were writing our books at around the same time, which was really cool, but you Mm -hmm. went to Mexico, which I think is a little bit cooler. (laughs) What's the the premise behind, uh, behind your book? So there were many, many lessons learned, I think, during the pandemic. That really showed everyone what happens when you have global forced change. So literally overnight, we woke up and all of a sudden we had to wear masks, we had to stand six feet apart, and you had to sanitize like your life depended on it, literally. Mm -hmm. So people did that, mostly, not everyone. So immediately we have this rift and see, Okay, so we've got the threat of death and still some people won't do it. So it's a beautiful case study of this is the reality of what change is like. And now I can transport that into the organization and say, when you're rolling out change, even if your organization's life depends on it, not everyone's going to get on board. So what do you need to do? And so the the book walks through each of the standard elements of what you do when you're leading change, but then builds in some of these insights that came out of the pandemic. For example, one of the reasons why I think people hesitated was around the fact you had leaders that were supposedly authorities saying different messages around the pandemic. So yeah, you need to stand six feet apart. Some eh, not so much. I mean, it's okay to have bubbles and you can have other people that come into your bubble as long as you do A, B, and C. And then this proliferation of rules of do's and don'ts gets very confusing. So what happens when I have inconsistency between authorities, I have all these rules that are hard to follow, we hesitate. Mm. And that's the same thing with any change. If I'm not sure I can rely on the leader, they don't have strong credibility, the rules don't seem clear to me, I'm going to wait and see. Maybe this thing is not going to happen and I could just wait it out. It'll go by. And we absolutely see those behaviors in organizations as well. Mm. Now, the flip side of that, because of course, I can't just call out everything that was done poorly. Well, we do need leaders to be consistent in their message, paint a picture of the future, make it clear, let people know there may be some changes up front. That's going to save your credibility. And then bring them along the way. Regular communication, we call that a cadence. Uh, Give them updates. Here's what's changing check in with them. You and I've already talked about being high touch. So, you know, we got to check in because emotions may be running high and low during transition of change and then just support them, give them whatever tools they require, new training if needed. And you're just there for them as they're making that transition. But we keep pointing to the future, keep pointing to the future and let them know if that picture is changing. 
Mm. Yeah, I think, I mean, I just wrote a few words here, starting with the letter C. I don't know if you've created a model on this, but yeah, the, the cadence, the consistency, uh, the check-ins as well. I've got a question for you about consistency because, and, and this relates more so to training and probably m- maybe past Jeff and the work that you do today. But, you know, sometimes I'd be, I'd be the face of the business and I'd be you know, running like leadership training. And we're talking about things like, you know, share the why and like the, just fundamental models about feedback. And sometimes the response in the group was, well, my manager doesn't do that. My lead, my leader doesn't do that. And right. there was the inconsistency. Have you ever mm-hmm. sort of navigated something like that where you've been like running the workshop and then it's like, well, the business isn't doing this. Yeah, 100% on. So it's natural, like folks recognize during change, you got to have your leaders at the top saying the right things and doing the right things. They should be out in front of that. Good. But if that doesn't translate down through the organization so that my supervisor is doing those things, I'm not likely to get on board. So I'll give you a really dramatic example. So let's say um, organization X tomorrow, uh, leader gets up front of the entire organization and says, great news, we are buying out our nearest competitor. We're going to merge with them and we're going to be the biggest in this industry. Now to get ready for that, I need you to do A, B, C, and D. So we all got the message. Okay, great. Now I go back to my desk and, in reflection, I've I got a few questions about that. So I go to my manager and I say to him or her, I have these questions about this merger, what the impact might be. And the first thing on my mind, could that lead to job loss? Mm. And supervisor says, I don't know. Now you have a problem. So first of all, they haven't been involved in this. And now if my supervisor doesn't know, is this, do we really have this all ironed out? I mean, Maybe I should wait. Here we have this hesitation that comes in again. Or worse yet, my supervisor says, uh, don't worry about it. I've seen this thing happen before. They may pull the plug yet. Well, I'm definitely not going to do anything mm. now. I'll just wait. So it's so critical to have our, our middle managers lined up. And again, that's a high touch engagement from our top leaders. They got to be all the way down, connecting with leaders, making sure, are you getting the message? Are you repeating the message as I gave it to you? Or are you filtering and putting a spin on it, which takes people in a direction we don't want to go. And that happens all the time. It, yeah, I'm just laughing because it does. And the example that you gave was so spot on. I mean, I've been in that scenario, you know, in, in an organization where you know, the top's communicated and, and you're like, everyone's just running around. What you're saying is like, what I'm hearing from you is I'll just wait. And you say that's quite dangerous when it comes to leading a change. Is that because you want actual momentum, even if you're uncertain? Like what's, talk to me about waiting and momentum. The actual issue is the fact that it spreads. So if I'm ready to go, let's say I'm excited about it and I look to my right because I've got peers and I was checking in with them. Oh, and they're holding back. So relay race, right? Gun goes off. We're all going to run. I run and I look back and no one else is moving. I'm going to slow down. You just will. So if I slow down and now, oh, there actually was someone who was also running, but they look at me and they see me slow down. So it's very contagious. On the far end of the scale of resistance, if I have someone who's very loud about how they feel about the change in a negative way, I'm going to call it a toxic element because sometimes that, that's what it is. That spreads really fast. So I've got, I have an individual saying, this change is stupid. And I, I've seen that happen. Or that leader can't lead us out of a paper bag. Then other people start to doubt, okay, is there a real issue here? Especially if the person is not dealt with. So if it's left lie of 
okay, there was no consequence for them. So maybe they really are onto something. That's a problem. As you're sharing this, I just think the you're talking at this macro level, but the micro levels in the workshop where, you know, you might start an activity and no one's moving <laughs> and you're like, okay, right. And it's really hard to move that zero to one. But if you've got, you know, a few people that have started, then you're right. It's contagious and everyone sort of looks at their peers, see what sees what they're doing and they follow yeah. as well. So there's so many similarities. I, I have to give you an example. And yeah. this came from, from Alan Weiss and I've used it really well. So um, I was asking him, what can I do to, to demonstrate the importance of embracing change when it's hard? And he said, okay, so when you get up to speak in front of people or you start your workshop, ask right off the bat, can I have a volunteer? And you'll get exactly zero people, right? Volunteer for what, right? So they're all, I don't know, what is he going to make me do? I've never met Jeff before. Can I trust him? All these emotions go on that happen when I'm faced with a new change. So eventually someone says, okay. <laughs> And they come up and you have to give them something really valuable. So I think I gave them a stack of three different books that were relevant to the, the talk. And they're like, wow, thank you. Then you say, can I have another volunteer? And everyone's hand goes up. And you see what happened. Why are you now willing to do this? Someone else went first. There was no bad consequences for them. They didn't fail, right? There was a real benefit for them at the end of it. So that's the reality of change of, uh, feeling kind of hesitant to go first. I need to make sure if I dip my toe in the water, it's going to be safe. Again, role of leaders is to create that safety for people. So that's another great exercise using workshops that helps people understand this is what change is like for people. It's emotional. I love that example. Um, I'm so glad we recorded that. I'm so keen to use it. Now, Jeff, I know you get asked all the time from like your peers uh, and your clients about like, what are some cool change activities that you can run in your workshop? So you've decided to just start mapping things down. Can you share a bit about that? Right. So I've decided, yeah, we get this question and even among practitioners do work similar to I do, you know, what's an exercise I could do? Now there are some classics. And if I told you them, people oh, that's great. And I'll, I'll write them down. But they're very common. And so I've expressed to people, listen, at some point, you're going to do one of these common exercises and half your room's already done it and it just loses impact. So I've been designing brand new ones. So the ones that the one I gave you earlier around here's uh, Elizabeth Kubaros's curve. Where would you be on the curve? You know, one of the variations on that is put it up on the wall, give everyone a sticker and not only put where you are right now for a change in your life. But where do you think your team is at right now? I can build a whole discussion around that for sure. Um, you talked about uh, if you're a project manager, you can list all these uh, tasks that happen, but none of them have an emotional equivalent. I just designed one that has, I think, about 30 tasks typical for a project. And I give you a list of 10 emotions. Say, which emotions would you connect to each one of these occurrences along the way from start to finish of a project? And what leader actions would you take as a result? And that's the real challenge. So I expect fear is going to pop up all over the place. You know, so for example, change in scope, we're no longer delivering everything. We've kind of had to scale back some things. Oh, and one of the things that was going to make your job easier, Leanne, sorry, we're not able to do that anymore. In fact, your life is going to get harder as a result of this change. What should a leader do? great discussion we can have around that. So that's a couple examples. So I'm building this into a new booklet. Um, I'm hoping to have out within a couple months. I've just asked some people to participate and help give me some reviews. So wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I'll be calling on you, Leanne, to have a look at that Absolutely. as well. Absolutely. 
I'd love to have a look. I'm so excited. And uh, when you do have that available, we'll throw it into the show notes or, you know, obviously your website, Jeff Skipper, link to it as well. Yeah. So now, Jeff, you, um, something in Hawaii is like you're always at the gym or you have to be at the gym. You love the gym. And I want to talk <laughs> about like personal preparation with our workshops because a lot of this is about the energy that we show up with. I don't know if you do go to the gym before a workshop, but yeah, what is your sort of routine to get you in state to deliver a session? I'm laughing because... Uh, so this meeting you and I are having is late in the day for me. So I just came from the gym because I needed to get that in, but you know, right. Anyways, yes, it's important. <laughs> Preparation for me. Um, it was interesting. You know, I have to admit, I love your book. So I, I went through that and there's lots of great tips for preparation. And I have some similar ones to you. So a lot of that is the night before show me where the room is, walk me through it. I want to make sure it's got everything that I need. Where's the outlet plug in. Do we need any extension cords or power bars? So the more I can get done the night before and make sure I'm prepped, the more relaxed I am than, than for that day. Other than that, I just, I'm pretty calm individual as it is. So as long as I feel I'm in a state of calm going in, I'm going to be just fine. So it's, it's get there early, make sure you're all set up and then get ready to execute. I don't do any rehearsal, so to speak, the night before. If I don't know it by then, I'm in trouble. All my rehearsal happens during the previous week. Yeah, I think um, it's interesting about like actually seeing the room that links back to certainty, I guess. A lot of the time, like if I haven't seen the room, I'm visualizing what it might look like. And then you get in, it's like, oh no, this is set up. This is so bad. Where's We're the so cramped. There's no there's, wall space. There's, yes. There's no light. <laughs> Yeah. There's no natural yeah. light coming in. Yeah. Okay. So, and you're all really prepped to go. You talk about being calm and you also talk about, I mean, your book is dancing with disruption. Have you ever had a moment in a workshop where things haven't gone to plan and calm Jeff is no longer calm Jeff? <laughs> yes. Many times. Now, honestly, I'm, I'm so pleased to say it doesn't happen anymore because you have enough incidents that go sideways that you eventually learn everything can be figured out. So maybe an exercise, like you said, no one's participating. It's not really working. Then you modify it or cast it aside. And I can do that in the moment. We'll come up with something else. So I would say, and, and for those listening in, to maintain that level of calm, you really have to trust yourself. And when you trust yourself, you're more, more likely to come up with a solution. And it's okay to say, hey, folks, can we take 10, 15 minute break so you can do a reset? I've done that as well. And they don't mind. They'll head out into the hallway. And remember we said people want to connect and just blah, blah, blah. They'll go do that. And you'll have a heck of a time reeling them back in again. But just being relaxed, say, hey, you know, this didn't go as I was intending. I just need 10 minutes to do a reset and then we'll get back on with it and away you go. I love that. It's a really good line as well. I had a moment last week, I was running my four-week workshop sprint and I got, my internet just went down. So I was booted off my own call and I had to like reload the computer, turn the modem off and, you know, all of that. Talk about yeah, it took about 10 minutes to get back in. And when I arrived back, everyone's just having a chat because I was like panicking that, oh, but it was just such a lovely vibe actually. And I'm like, oh, yeah. actually it probably is better that I'm not here because <laughs> they were connecting. And I went to, um just on the notion of breaks again, I, I went to a workshop in Singapore once run by Sean D'Souza and we had more breaks than we did actual in the session, but it was amazing. Like, cause you actually had the space to talk and reflect on what you were totally heard. relaxed when you do that. You made me think of something else that I, I picked up from you. So again, you try to keep the energy up. And one of the ways you do that is just have things that people can fiddle with on the table or um, I extended that into having some prizes. And I really trust my sense of humor. So if I have a break, I might come in and say, you know what, folks, 
I just want to give it out an award right now for the person who was the most patient, sat there doing nothing the entire time while I tried to figure this thing out. And bam, award. <laughs> and people are like, yay, right? So folks like getting stuff. So I like having on hand things you can give away. And now, um, like as I use these sites like Timu and AliExpress, you can get a bunch of stuff that's easy to just throw away. Yeah, that's right. You did a post on the flip chart around stuff that you'd hold back from Japan. So really cool, yes, like stationery yes. and... Yeah, cool stickers. So when you're doing this, I mean, folks will love those dot exercise, but when you give them puffy stickers of vehicle, I had a transportation client. So vehicles, um, including, you know, the hamburger truck, they love those things. So it just adds a level of fun. Yeah. I mean, like that's the phrase I always use, like it's never crowded along the extra mile. So it's like, all you're doing is nothing, not very, it's the same thing, like dot stickers, but you're bringing your own brand and personality into it. And it's also kind of, I had Brandon Baker on the show recently and he used the term corporateness, it kind of snaps it out of the corporateness vibe when you have kind of that playful energy um, as well in your sessions. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we need to engage on that level, not just with quote frontline folks. It has got to include the CEO, the VPs. I don't care. You know, they're all targets uh, for me as well. And they often appreciate that because then they, they're just one member of the audience. That's something I often have in discussion with them beforehand of, hey, listen, you're, you have to be just a participant here. If you do anything more than that, you could actually alter the conversation in a way we don't want. We want to make sure people feel they can participate. So you're just one of the guys or one of the girls. Yeah. And I think that's it. Like everyone's like, oh, puts people on a pedestal, but everyone's human. And we still like, like having a bit of fun and like being a bit right. playful, like, you know, versus that it doesn't have to be all like hardcore professionalism, capital P. Yeah. So Jeff, do you have any advice for people that are starting their journey in facilitation? And, you know, I do think facilitation and change are just so closely intertwined. So you've got a lot of experience in this area. What advice that you can offer? Well, you said you sent me five bucks if I said, you know, they should read your book. So I'll, I'll say that. <laughs> it's on its way. I mean, there are so many good resources now. Um, there's no excuse for not tapping into some of the best wisdom out there. It is available. Beyond that, I'm going to say it is practice. I had, uh, you know, beyond workshops, I had a presentation, but interactive. And um, it was high stakes, very large audience, very senior audience. And I was working with the team, although I had to present on my own, but it was rehearsal, 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 and then getting input in from others of, do you think this would work? Let's actually pilot this in our little group and try it out. Okay, we need to tweak it that way. So having a community around you that you can rely on, uh, that you can test things with, I think is really essential to this. Many of us are solo entrepreneurs, so uh, very important to have those folks that that will collaborate with you and boost you up, especially if you have a failure and you need someone to reflect back to you, how could I have done that better? Um, so I'm I'm big on the practice. I'm so fluent now. I don't need a lot of it, but I still do it. Go over your stuff. Make sure the words are in your mind so you're ready and fluent when it comes to actual presentation. Yeah, that's wonderful. And I think you're so right about having that community or someone you can bounce off ideas from, particularly when you just, yeah, you're right. Cause when you're on your own, you're sort of drafting it. And then you, the second you have to communicate to someone else, you, you can immediately see yourself. Oh, actually I should, you know what I mean? You're kind of self-coaching. even work. though you're, Yeah. This isn't working. This isn't, where's the flow here. Um, mm -hmm. Jeff, if our listeners would love to connect with you and find out more about the great work that you do, where can we send them? Yeah, my website is jeffskipperconsulting.com. And I'll make special note, there's a section called resources. 
there's lots of stuff that's available for free. Folks come in regularly and just download whatever they want. By all means, please take advantage of that. And of course, there's information about my book on there as well. And there will be about the workshop book coming up. So stay tuned for that as well. Yeah, excellent. Let us know when that's out. And um, yeah, I mean, Jeff puts out really great resources all the time. So definitely recommend uh, looking at that section. Uh, Jeff, it's always a great opportunity to chat to you. Thanks so much for jumping on here and sharing your wisdom about change and workshop facilitation as well. Thank you. An absolute pleasure. Thanks, Nan, for having me.